Welcome to Adult Bible Stories, our vicarious God and his vicarious people. My name is Jeff and I have a story to tell. We're doing a hop, skip, and jump throughout the Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, this is something that you want to hop, skip, and jump and kind of learn where everything is. You want to know where scriptures are found, what their address is, then this is the place you want to be. Uh, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and we're going to verse 7. It says, Each man should give what he has decided in his own heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that's where it's written, God loves a cheerful giver. But let's go over this scripture a little bit more. It says, every man should give what he has decided in his own heart. It's you who decide how much you to give, not somebody up there, you know, telling you how much to give or, or it says even under reluctantly or under compulsion. Sometimes you may hear somebody and you don't want to be left out, kind of like peer pressure or the spotlight's on you and everybody's giving around you. So you give so everybody can see that you're a good person, that you're also giving. But you may, but if you're not doing it from, you decided in your own heart, then God's not receiving it. Your church may receive it. The minister may receive it. But God is not receiving it because God loves a cheerful giver. Somebody who's not, who's decided in their own heart how much to give. You know, I've already decided, you know, how much to give, to, how much I'm giving to God wherever I go and whatever I do. That doesn't mean that I don't, you know, give more at times in here and there. But I've always decided when, you know, when to give and how much to give. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, that in all things at all times have in what you need, you will uh, abound in every good work. Abound in every good work. So we need money. There's a lot of things that I like to do to help, you know, to help some people who are impoverished or help some uh, Christians who are being persecuted. But I don't have the funds or the money to actually help them. And so I need the grace of God to help me get there so I can be ready to abound in every good work. There's a lot of good works that I just can't give to you right now. Uh, verse 11 says, You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. So there's one place where it says you'll be made rich. Now you may want to redefine or de define what uh, rich means here. Some people say well, that's a spiritual riches. But this whole, this whole chapter is about finance is about money so he's so he's not just talking about spiritual riches he's talking about being rich in every way and being rich in every way means uh means uh, just that we made only uh, physically rich but also spiritually rich and so forth but we should be made rich does that mean with just oodles and oodles of money just having all kinds of bank accounts well, i think it means that we have plenty to not only for our own needs but also to give out to those who her needs are are not met to those who are doing the will of the father so let's hop skip and jump to verse 12 it says this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of god's people so we want to help supply the needs of god's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to god overflowing in many expressions of thanks to god you want to know if you're really thankful to god then i'm telling you it's about your giving because the greatest thing to you know to, you know to show that your love for people is to give Remember John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When you give, it shows how open you are. You're giving, you're, you're reaching out, you're showing yourself as, a, as an open vessel. You're overflowing with thankfulness. You're expressing thankfulness and so forth. So giving is, a, is, is, is an overflowing of many expressions, of many expressions of thanks to God. If you're not giving, then, you know, and you have and you have something to give then maybe that 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 thankfulness is not you know not there so let's hop skip and jump 
Let's go to verse 13. Because of the servant which you which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God. So men will praise God. Of course they will when, we, when we're giving. Uh, for the obedience that accomplishes your confession of the gospel of Christ. For the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. So if you if you proclaim to believe in the gospel, proclaim that Jesus is Lord, then you then your uh, obedience should be accompanying that. And part of that is 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 giving is giving back. Because if Jesus, you know, gave you His all, then we should be giving back to Him our all. Uh, chapter ten, uh, verse one: By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, I Paul, who am timid when face to face. To you, but bold went away. And he's saying this kind of like in tongue in cheek, because I guess that's some accusations made against him that he is timid. He's nothing to look at. He's nothing to be, a, you know, fearful. But when he's bold, when we read this, these letters, his letters are very bold. So you expect this big, bold, and a bold guy to come in and ready to rough things up, I guess. But he's saying you're timid when face to face, but bold when you're away. It's like you're being, you know, when you're far away, you say, yeah, come on, come on. You want to fight? Let's go outside. Let's go outside. When you go outside, yeah. Well, that's what that's that's what they're telling Paul is that Paul is you know really bold thinks he's somebody who's far away when he's face to face he's nothing. And it says I beg that I beg you that when I come I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think they that we live by the standards of this world. So there's more accusations being flung at, uh, at Paul, saying that they live according to the standards of the world. You know, it's, it's maybe let's talk about since this is right out off the talking about money here. There's a lot of people who say a lot of preachers live according to standards of money when, when it causes causes when it comes to raising funds. And some places that is exactly right. But in other places not, just because of you know, you talk about money in church doesn't mean we're doing it by the standards of the world. And there's a whole lot that we could talk about there. What is the standard of the world about raising money and which what is God's way of, of raising money? And the first thing I can, you know, going to say on next, I don't want to spend too much time on that. Is it's got to by faith. If we put, you know, pressure, if we have faith that God is going to supply our need in Christ Jesus, then our faith uh, is going to be on Jesus and not force people in, into a corner to give to us. We're not going to grab people by their ankles and shank out every nickel, dime, and quarter out of their pants. We're not going to, you know overturn their purses or anything else but we're going to trust god that doesn't mean we we don't speak about money we do need to speak money but we do it in a pleasant way we do it in a way that doesn't force people or to condemn people and so we're in chapter 10 uh for though we live by the world we do not wage war as the world does the weapons we fight with are, are not weapons of this world so that's that's one place we're talking about our weapons are not of this world uh, i could go in there but let's hop skip and jump to verse 11 so such people should realize that when we are in our letters we are at, uh, what we are in our letters when we are absent we will be in our actions we are present once again back to that boldness and know that and timidity he's you know saying that paul is timid when he's when he's uh face to face with him but bold far away but he's saying no my my words my letters are are weighty they're bold because the words are weighty of god but my, that weightiness is when I come to you face to face, I don't want to confront you. I don't want to be face to face with you in, in a way that I'm domineering or such a way. But I will. My, those words become weighty in what I do, in my actions towards you, my actions around you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live it. I'm here's, you know, I'm far away. You hear my talk, but you can't see my walk because I'm too far away. But when I come near to you, I'm gonna pay more attention to my walk than I am my talk. I'm gonna make sure my walk matches what I've been talking about all this time. 
So we are in our letters, what we are absent, we will also be in our actions when we are present. In verse 12, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. So this is probably what you've heard this in scripture too, about it's not good to compare ourselves with one another. Because you know what? We're all we're all humans, right? We're all mankind. We're all created by a creator, which is which is the Father God. All things are created in Christ, for Christ, and through Christ. So if I'm looking to you to see how I'm supposed to be, I'm I'm looking at a, you know already a, a fallen copy of you know in, in in that sense. I'm looking at somebody who's not made perfect, somebody who doesn't know everything yet. So I don't need to look to you to see how well I'm doing. I don't need to look to so and so or or somebody who prays you know three or four hours, or somebody who can preach this, or somebody who can lift that, or somebody who can just keep on going. I need to look at the original manufacturer, Jesus Christ, and see. I need to compare myself with him and not with anybody else and same thing with you so we do not classify or compare ourselves or commend ourselves when they measure ourselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves they are not wise you're not wise comparing yourselves with the person you're next to the person next to you is not the incarnate Jesus Christ and you aren't either so they're going to have flaws they're going to have shortnesses they're going to have weaknesses no matter how close you get to God, no matter how holy you become, you're always going to have weaknesses. He is the, you know, um, uh, vine, and we are the branches. So we're always going to have to be connected to Him. We're always going to have weakness, and we're going to talk about that here in a, a, a few seconds about weaknesses. So we do not dare classify or compare ourselves. Hop, skip, and jump to verse 15. It says, "Neither, neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others." So we're not going to boast about something that was done by somebody else. Have you ever done that, been there, you know, when you are when you accomplish a project or something and you're, some family or some friends around you and you start talking about how this was accomplished and all of a sudden your family and friends who maybe weren't on board in the beginning, maybe got on board at the, towards the end or were not on board at all, all of a sudden they'd like jump in, yeah, and we did this and we did that. <laughs> they never had, really took part of it. That's what Paul's talking about right here. It says some people are boasting about things, you know, that they didn't really have a part in. And Paul says that he does not do that. You know, he if he, if he does it, he'll, he'll boast about it. But if he had nothing to do with it or very little about to do with it, then he just didn't boast about it. Chapter 11. Hop, skip, and jump. And we're going down to, I guess, verse 2. It says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. So there is a godly jealousy. You know, if you're a husband and you see your wife flirting, that's a godly jealousy. You know, of course, if you know she is flirting and or she is giving herself to another man or, you know, even if her heart, you know, not maybe not physically and so forth, there is a godly jealousy. Same thing with a woman sees her, her uh, sees her husband out there doing doing something, giving himself in a way that he should not be given. There is a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. See, preachers, apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, you know, deacons, or anybody's teaching, that's what we need to be doing. Our, our gospel to teach people is, is to um, present somebody as, as a pure virgin. You may not be a virgin. You may have messed up in our lives like many people have. But we, when we become born again, he wants to present us as a pure virgin of Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So we're supposed to be presented to him as a pure virgin. It doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it means we're on our way. It means we threw off everything else that just really doesn't matter in, in the, in the council of, 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 of eternity. There's a whole lot of things matter. You don't matter. You know, what you do today is run after, may probably 
Well, most likely it won't matter 100 years from now or 1,000 years from now or a million years from now. We need to do things considering um, we're going to spend our eternity. And so we want to do, so we want to present ourselves as a pure virgin uh, to the Lord. It means we want to get rid of things that, that are going to be contrary to him that, and so forth. So let's hop, skip, and jump. Uh, let's see, let's go to, uh, well, let's just stay in there. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led away from sincere, sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Well, that's going on in our Western culture, isn't it? Being led away by sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Sincere um, and pure devotion to Christ. You remember your sincere, do you remember your devotion to Christ, your pure devotion to Christ, not impure devotion to Christ, not part devotion to Christ, but complete devotion to Christ, devotion, devoted. Are you devoted to Christ? And are you sincere about it? Or are you haphazard or halfway giving or halfway show up to church or halfway reading the Bible? God is looking for, for a pure heart. For the blessed of a pure heart for the issues of God. He's looking for a, a, a full heart, a heart that's returning to God with a full heart, not a partial heart, not a partial repentance, but a, a full devoted, a pure devoted to God, sincere, sincere heart. Verse 7. It wasn't a sin for me to lower myself in order to, to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge. To free of charge. So that's where I get my idea. We see on my websites, I'm free of charge. Because you know, nothing is free. Somebody had to pay for it. Even the gospel, somebody had to pay for it. God had to give his only begotten son. It cost God something. It cost Jesus something, his life. So even though it's free to us, it cost them something. And so even, even though that I'm given a lot of what I've given, well, I give everything that I have eventually free to, free to people who can't afford it, it doesn't come without a cost. It costs me. It costs me many hours, days, weeks, months, years to put, my, to put myself in place to receive from the Lord that I can be able to preach this and also to go through the, the process to make sure that these words that I speak are evident in my life, that I live it and not just, not just talk it. So it's cost me everything. And, it's, and it should cost you everything too. But you give it free of charge to other people. And it says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them. So here's, even going further here, he's kind of bringing not condemnation because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. But he's telling them, hey, you guys are, you know, uh, uh, I'm robbing, robbing other churches so I take care of you. And, and, and I'm not telling you that to make you feel bad, but I'm telling you that because you have the means to give more. You have the means to take care of your own needs, but you're not. And we live in a, in a society that's more and more welfare, more and not just welfare in, you know, in the government, but welfare, you know, in the church. And everybody doesn't, uh, well, even, let's take this, here, here we are uh, at the time of going back to school and all these churches are, are providing uh backpacks with, with school supplies and they're in enough self there's no problem with it but i know a whole lot of parents that have that budgeted that those free things budgeted so they get that free stuff when they actually go out and pay for it themselves so they're kind of receiving this welfare they're kind of robbing other people when they could actually get it themselves and and and, and so the churches can actually help those people that really don't have the means to do it. And so Paul's talking to a church right here, and he says, you guys have the means, to, you know, to, to take care of what you're hearing, but I'm robbing other churches right now to take care of you, and that should not be. Okay, let's go on to verse uh, 14. It says, no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You ever heard that Satan comes as an angel of light? And when you become a Christian, you get a you, you get a new heart and a new spirit. 
your, your old passed away and your new, new has begun. You don't no longer want to sin. It doesn't mean your flesh doesn't have a desire to sin, but there's a deep part in you that does no longer want to do those things that brings corruption, that brings death. For the wages of sin is death. So you resist, you fight, you, may, you know, until you learn how to walk according to the word, you, you're going to fall here and there, but, you're, but you no longer want to do those things. So, so when you get to that point when you're born again and you're following Christ, Satan doesn't come to you with a pitchfork. He doesn't come to you, you know, the devil on, a, you know, on your left uh, shoulder telling you to do these evil things. He's going to come to you as an angel of light. He's going to come to you thinking you're helping, hoping that you choose the wrong thing by giving you saying this is the right thing. You got two right things to do, so do this right thing. But that always goes. But that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Remember, God put all these trees in the garden. Says you can eat of all the trees in the garden except for this one, except for the knowledge, of, uh, except for the tree of knowledge, good and evil. But but Eve, Adam and Eve decided to eat from the, uh, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, so they can choose what's good and evil for themselves. And Satan still comes that way. He's still offering the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil, because we in ourselves. If, and, uh, set aside from Christ, we cannot choose what is good and evil, except by circumstance, except by uh, 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 consequences, by testing, testing a trial, you know, testing trial or something like that. <laughs> you, we know something is bad simply because we taste it and go, oh, that didn't turn out well, so that's bad. Okay, this is turning out, this is good. That's the way, that's from the knowledge of tree of, tree of knowledge of good and evil. But God will tell us things that are good for us and, be, and bad for us without us happen to try to see if it is good or bad and that's better because you don't have to find out that is this is not good to do we don't know what's good and bad there's a lot of people that are doing good things they say but but god didn't tell them to do it god is not in it in the end it's it's actually they're doing good things not for the glory of god but they're doing good things be seen as a good person that to to win somebody's heart so they can you know take them for everything they're worth all this kind of stuff so satan comes as a as an angel of light you know, I've seen just recently. I've seen people, you know, in in, in some severe darkness, and, and 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 some light came up, and they went towards the light, but it wasn't the light of God. It was the light, this this masquerading as angel of light, that led them into even more darkness, um, given this false sense of light. So we want to know that Satan is not going to come out with with pitchfork and you know and fire and hand and everything else. He's going to come into us. To, make us our own God, think that we can be our own God, make our own decisions. That's why we need to surrender to the Lord, not just give ourselves over, but we need to continually surrender that if he's going to be Lord, if you believe in your heart, confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Well, are you just confessing that and just going on like it doesn't mean anything? No, if you confess that Jesus is Lord, then you're going to make him Lord, which means you're going to go to him. If you said, come to me, oh, weary and heavy laden, that's because we made our own choices, choices that made us heavy, choices that, that, tore us down choices that made us go into debt choices that really condemned us made us guilty but we come to the lord he's going to direct our paths he's going to correct us. he's going to take off those heavy burdens he's going to his yoke is easy his burden is light and we're going to come to him each and every day so we know what is good for us and what's bad for us because we don't know in of ourselves we can look at circumstances we can look at consequences but that's just the hard way to do it we don't have to go that direction we don't want to go that direction so let's hop, skip, and jump. We're staying in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians. And we're going to, at the end of verse, there's a phrase at the end of verse of 26. And it says, in danger of false brothers. So Paul's talking about all these things he's going through. And it says, in danger of false brothers. So there are false brothers in, in the church. Uh, the church is not a safe place. A lot of people think it's a, a safe place, but you really need to have the armor of God when you go into church. Because the church is like a hospital 
except in a hospital, everybody goes there, they know they're sick. <laughs> when you go to some churches, people don't know that they're sick. So they throw up on you and they don't know, oh, was that me? Did I do that? Uh, yeah. So, but there are false brothers in church. People are pretending to be Christian for one reason or another, either, either you know, to gain something or just simply to come off as a good person because they don't want the condemnation and guilt and shame to be upon them. You know, you know, they say blood is thicker than water, but the blood of Jesus is even thicker than the blood of family. And Jesus had this uh, one experience where he went into a place to, you know, to speak in the kingdom of God. And his family came to the door. The family thought he was crazy, his mom and sisters and brothers, and they're going to pull him out. But they couldn't get in. So here comes this guy to Jesus and says, hey, your mother, your father, or your mother and your brother and sister are out there. And Jesus, knowing why they're there, because Jesus was about the father's business, looked around and says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? But those who do the will of the father. Now, how would you like to hear that as a family member of somebody saying that? Well, what, you're not claiming me as your brother anymore? What what am I? But but Jesus was saying this is if you're not doing the will of the Father, then you, you're not being counted, you're not being counted as a brother or a sister or a mother or a father in Christ Jesus. So in danger of false brothers. So those who are calling themselves some brothers, you know, in church need to be doing the will of the Father. The scripture tells us to stay away from those who are, who are in, in some kind of sexual sin. Remember in First Corinthians, stay away from uh, that guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. Now, scripture also says, stay away from an anger man. But the scripture also says, stay away from those who are idle. It means those who are not doing anything. Those who claim to know Jesus, but they're not out there living the life. They're not out there doing anything for the Lord. And they're not necessarily doing evil things either, but they're just not living for the Lord. They're just not, you know, confessing them. They're not coming to church. They're maybe, or they are coming to church, but they're not giving themselves to church or whatever. It says, stay away from those who are idle. They may be brothers in Christ there, but if they're idle, then you're going to become idle. So it's in danger of false brothers. Let's hop, skip, and jump to verse 29. It says, Who is weak, and do not, I do not feel weak? And who is led into sin, and, do not, and I do not inwardly burn? Now, if you want to make sure that you're not a judgmental person, that you don't come quick to judge somebody, because in the way you judge, it will be judged back to you, what measure you measure with. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Do you see a brother or sister in Christ who have fallen or some leader, in, in, you know, in, which is happening all the time now, uh, following from, you know, from grace, following his sexual sin, following into the lust of money or so forth? Do you not feel weak? Do you, do you see that situation going, oh, how could they do such that? Or do you think, oh, Lord, help me that I don't do the same thing? Because there's no temptation uncommon to man. There's nobody following a sin that, that's not, that's not uh, common to man. And we have an intercessor, Jesus Christ, who is tempted in all ways but not sin. So, but see, he knows how to fill our infirmities. He knows how to fill our weaknesses. And we need to be the same way. We don't need to be a super Christian that we no, think we're no longer tempted in other areas. We always have the flesh. The flesh is always going to be there. We must you know, crucify the flesh. We have to continue to crucify the flesh because the flesh never gets better. No matter how much knowledge you have, no matter how much wisdom you have, no matter how strong you are in the Lord, your flesh will never get better. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh because the flesh is always going to stay there and never gets better. So when some we see somebody fall in some kind of sin, our first thing is going, oh man, that could have been me. Uh, you know, And you're going, well, that couldn't have been me. Well, then you just don't know how, how deceptive sin can be. You don't know how deceptive pride can be. It says, who is weak and I not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I not inwardly burn? I mean, there's been times, you know, that I can stay, you know, stay away from sin. Somebody else falls in it. I'm going, man, 
<laughs> I've been tempted in that way that I'm, I'm almost falling in that as well. And I inwardly burn for that. Not only because, for that sin, but inwardly burn because of, of what they're going through, the consequences they're paying, because the wage of sin is death. It's always, there's always a wage to sin. It's not the, maybe it's not the ultimate wage, and the ultimate wage of, of sin is eternal death. But wages come in different packages or different values. And you may, you know, seven twenty-five an hour or something like that, or a hundred dollars an hour. But come to different wages. So who is weak and do not feel weak, and who is led in sin? I do not. Do I do not inwardly burn. Nobody out there who's committed a sin that you're not capable. If the right circumstances were in place and you didn't know God, I learned that one time at a at a Christian boarding school. I'm a very Laid, uh, kind of laid back person. I keep my emotions in, under control as I thought. But these, this day, just I, I guess it's just been building. All of a sudden, I just blew up and I grabbed this kid and, you know, and pinned him to the wall. And 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 then out of my mouth says, "Look what you made me do!" And immediately I was convicted because that kid didn't make me do anything. It's my own sinful ways that made me. It's my own flesh that made me pick up that kid and lose my temper and, and put him against that wall. So, there, so at that moment, I realized that I'm capable of committing anything out there, no matter how disciplined I think I am, no matter how control I think I'm in, that if I start playing with the devil, if I start having a pet demon, that demon's eventually going to grow and it's going to overtake me and I'm going to do things that I didn't think I could possibly do if the right circumstance right there and I didn't know God. By, but by the grace of God, go I. By the grace of God, I don't do those things. And so it's by the grace of God that I need every day that grace so I don't do those things my flesh will do even though i may not think that they will do it so let's hop skip a jump we're still in second corinthians and we're going to chapter 12. Uh, verse 7 keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations there was given me a thorn in the flesh so here's a thorn in my flesh the first time you're reading the scripture this is where it's mentioned a messenger of Satan. So it's a, this, so a thorn of the flesh is a messenger of Satan, not of God. God did not give him this thorn of the flesh. Satan did. To torment me. So it's tormenting. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is efficient for, for, uh, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What God wasn't saying was deal with it. He wasn't saying that. He said, he wasn't saying, Paul, you got this. He wasn't saying that either. He says, Paul, just, you know, deal with it. He wasn't saying that. He says, my grace is sufficient. Now, what is God's grace? God's grace is the power to overcome or God's grace is power to endure a season of attack from the devil. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect. So why is God's power made perfect in weakness if, 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 if God is just leaving them, leaving them there into that mess? No, he's saying, my grace is sufficient for this time for this time for you, Paul. And while you're weak, you depend on my grace and my power show up. My power show up to carry you through that temptation, to carry you through that thorn that's been thrust in your side that's causing you great pain. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, one of my weaknesses is I'm a recluse, a healthy recluse, meaning my personality is bent towards being alone and thinking about things for long periods of time. So I may have, a, you know, so I can make sure what I'm doing is, is right or make I think through something, which causes me to be a, a, a 
not as comfortable around people as I'm comfortable around myself. You know, being out in the wilderness, out in the woods, in the rocks, just thinking. I used to go camping a lot, but now I live in the country, so I can just think. So it's so it's I'm more comfortable being by myself. I'm less comfortable being around people. That's where I'm weak. And I've got to ask God for help when people just open their mouth and they start talking about thinking because I've spent hours, maybe even days thinking about something and all of a sudden they just get an opinion off the top of their head and they gave no time to think about it. That kind of irritates me and I can, and I can become weak in that moment and, say, you know, and say something I shouldn't say, you know, either being rude or just simply because I haven't been around people enough to, to be considered, to be considered. Love, you know, love is supposed to be gentle. And sometimes if I'm not thinking about loving that other person, I am not not gentle. But I am weak when it comes to being around people. I don't like to be in front of people. I don't like to be out and, and bold. I'd rather just be off and alone. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. It's kind of how I live. But that's not what God has called us to be. God has called us to be in the body. God has called us to have fellowship with another. God has called us to go together, you know, to, uh, to, to be one as Christ is one with the Father. So, but that is my weakness being around people and I need the grace of God. And, and many people think, see me as a recluse. They see me quiet. But when I begin speaking, they're going, whoa. But, but once I quit speaking, I, I go right back. They can see my, you know, my natural, my, in my nature or my, uh, uh, of being that reclusive type person. And they know that it's God speaking. They know that I'm giving myself to the Lord. They know where I'm weak, that God is strong. So as I delight in weaknesses. So this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. So he comes to the point where he delights in weaknesses. I'm not quite there yet. And he also delights in insults. And when's the last time somebody called you a name, and then you're going, yeah, oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. No, he delights in insults and hardships. When's the last time you woke up and had a flat tire and says, thank you, Lord. <laughs> he delights in hardships and persecutions. When's the last time you've been ostracized? Nobody didn't ask you out for lunch at, at, at school or lunch out for, uh, lunch at work because of uh, your, you went to church or because of your outspoken Christianity. But he, this, he's saying he delights in persecution and difficulties. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. So don't just say that. We all know, you know, some people don't know they're weak and some people don't know they're strong in the Lord. You know, we're not strong in, we're not strong in and of ourselves. We can only be strong in the Lord. We're strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not the power of our might, not the power of our wisdom. But some people just think all the time, well, I'm just weak, I'm just weak, I'm just weak. Well, whatever you meditate on, it's what you're going to be. Yeah, you are weak. I'm weak. Everybody's weak. There's not a single strong person in this world, you know, that is, that is that is strong. We're all weak in the flesh. But in Christ Jesus, we're made strong in the power of his might. So when I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because I'm in Christ Jesus. You've got to make sure that you're in Christ Jesus and put on the full armor of God so that you can stand. I've done all stand with the armor of God. The armor of God helps you stand. If you don't put on the armor of God, you're not going to be able to stand. You're going to be in the fetal position. Okay. <clears throat> Let's go on a hop, skip, and jump down to uh, verse 13. It says, how were you inferior to other churches? Another phrase I want to pop out. <laughs> inferior. Paul is calling a church inferior. Wow. But how many times do you feel inferior to other Christians? I mean, I do. I mean, I do right now. I've been reading the Voice of the Martyrs a lot, and I feel inferior by a lot of our Christian brothers and sisters overseas. North Korea, China, India, um, parts of Africa, and parts of Russia, uh, Middle East. I mean, we got Christian brothers and sisters over there that are giving their lives or being beat or being tortured, you know, for living for Christ. And I haven't gone through any of those things. I certainly feel inferior to them. I certainly wonder if I know God like they know God because... Here they're coming out through those situations, still proclaiming Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 
you know, and still trusting in the cross. And over here we have, you know, difficulties of not meeting our bills or kind of being ostracized or, you know, overlooked at work or, or something like that. And we feel <laughs> we're just not feeling right. We're just not responding correctly. So I certainly feel inferior to some Christian brothers and sisters. And of course we don't want to, you know, God doesn't want us to feel inferior, but we need to notice that the, we need to be engaged with our brothers and sisters. We need to be taking part in that. I don't think God wants me to go over there and, uh, and create a situation where um, in the same situation as, as, as they are. You know, if you're going to live for Christ, there will be persecution. Jesus says so, but we shouldn't create it for ourselves. But nevertheless, Paul is saying, how were you inferior to the other churches except that I was a never burden to you? Forgive me that wrong. So he's talking about this church was inferior because they weren't pulling their own you know their own weight i guess he was you remember he was saying that he was taking money robbing other churches so he could you know provide for them even when they had the, the provision they could do it for themselves they just weren't willing to or maybe they had fear of you know of lack and not having enough tomorrow so they refrained from giving a day we don't know but anyway paul is calling them inferior and certainly the people in the east you know or going these things wouldn't call the americans inferior <laughs> but but here's right here's scripture that there is a precedence of doing that. Paul did call church inferior, and so I certainly feel inferior. And it, it doesn't cause me to walk away, but it causes me not only to pray for our brothers and sisters overseas or being tortured for Christ, but uh, it causes me to want to stand up and, and then I'll stand no matter what the consequence is so that I'm, so that I'm not I know, caught on a, uh, unaware, as scripture says, but that I'm standing for the Lord no matter the consequences. Because I will not be inferior to, you know, I will be all I can be for the Lord because of the Lord. Hop, skip, and jump. Let's go down to verse, right before, right before verse 16. I love you more where you love me less. I love you more where I love you less. You know, it's a strange thing about love. The more you love people, um, the, you kind of look dumb, foolish, stupid, or whatever you want to call it. Because true love will make you look like you're a joke or makes you look like that you're... Um, ignorant or foolish or, or, or so forth and so and people who want to be strong people who don't want to look foolish they're going to think less of you are going to think you know well you're you know i don't want that kind of love or i don't want to walk in that kind of love or or you're not walking in love you're not walking in love you're just foolish i wish i could say more about that but uh just say this one minister i heard to say you know here's walking in love if somebody's making fun I said this guy came up to him and said so and so is making fun of you no, he's not. He told him what it was. No, he doesn't mean that. Yeah, he does. You know, the guy was saying, and, and the pastor goes, yeah, I know he, I know what he was saying, but I choose to walk in love. I choose to overlook that. And But it made made the pastor look foolish that he was ignorant of, of somebody making fun of him, but he wasn't. He was walking in love. That's the same thing we need to do. The world's going to make fun of us. Even people in the church are going to make fun of us, but we need to walk in the foolishness of love, overlooking that, and, and shake it off our, you know, shake it off, shake it off our shoulders, and don't take it, don't take it to heart. And even though we're loving people, the more we love people, the more, the less some people love us. The same thing with God. I've seen that God loves people more and more, or lets His love shine upon them more and more. And the less people love Him back, because they don't understand how long and enduring and long suffering the love of God is. So they think they have a license to continue to do what they're doing when God is not agreeing with them. God is just long enduring and loving; His mercy endures forever. Okay, we only got a few more minutes, so let's. Well, we only got a few more scriptures too. So let's hop, skip, and jump to verse thirteen, or, or chapter thirteen. Verse 5, examine, 
verse 5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So we need to examine ourselves to make sure that we're in the faith, making sure we're walking by faith. Without faith, we cannot please God. Now, without faith, we can't re- cannot receive God because anyone who prays and, 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 and uh, asks God for something, he must believe that God is, is who he is and, and, and the rewarder of those who didn't really seek him. Because I found, you know, in my life and, and the people around me that most times we don't walk a life of faith. We may have moments of faith. We may have moments we seek God, you know, to fulfill a need. But we're not every day in and out, every moment of the day walking by faith. And here we need to examine us to see whether or not we're walking in faith. Test yourselves. We need to test ourselves. I mean, that's the reason I, you know, a few years ago, I quit my job and took a different direction because I realized I wasn't walking by faith. God had been dealing with me on a few things, you know, and when it came to the deceitfulness of riches, I mean, I wasn't rich by any means and, you know, making okay money, but I kept putting off this call of God on my life because I thought I needed this. I needed this after I pay for this, after I buy this, after I do this, then I'll give myself the call of my life. Once I'm independently wealthier, after I do this, and I just found out that it, that I wasn't walking by faith. I was just walking by the standards of this world, trying to provide, you know, my own way rather than trusting God. So now I'm walking more of a life exam, and I got to examine myself because every once in a while I'll examine myself and I'll find out that I stepped out of faith. I'm once again walking, you know, according to the world's standards rather than God's standards of, of living by faith. And I have to get myself back into the faith that God is, you know, I know that God is God of all things. Of, in my life, but I've got to make sure that I'm walking by him. And if you're going to walk by faith, it means you're not going to see, it means you're not going to be able to reason, which means you're not going to have all your, your dots and your, you know, uh, your P's and your T's and your I's, or all your I's dotted and all that and so forth. It means you're going to have to, to follow God, you know, somewhat blind. You heard, you walk in his voice. Jesus says, my, I know I'm the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. So sometimes you may not see what you're going, but you hear, but you know, you eventually see what you hear. If you're walking, let me show you this way. If you're walking this over here and I'm across the street and I yell your name, you hear me and then you come over and see me. See, that's why Jesus said, them have ears, let them hear because what we hear is eventually what we see. Oh man, I could go into so much on that, like condemnation and guilt and judgment. I mean, I, man, if, we just, if that's all you're doing to your kids is, is condemning them for this and that and telling them that they're, no, that they're no good, they're worthless, they're just like this. Man, what they hear is eventually what they're going to see and you don't want them to see that doesn't mean we shouldn't correct people. We need to correct people, but we need to help them hear first, hear what they're doing wrong, and also hear what God has done for them, what Jesus Christ has done for us, and that there is a better path so they can hear the right thing and so they can see the right thing. But that's a whole message in itself. Verse 7, Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. (laughs) There's a prayer. I pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. Most people rather have to say, well, we're all sinners. We're, you know, we're all saved, all sinners saved by, you know, saved by grace. Uh, We're all falling short of the glory of God. So, you know, all sin is the same. That's not the same thing as saying right here. All those things are true, you know, in, in, in one aspect, but it says we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong. We need to be shooting for not doing anything wrong. We need to be so dependent on God that that we just believe that he's going to carry us through so we do less and less wrong. Yeah, we all fall short of the glory of God, but if that's what you're seeing, then you're going to lower that standard, lower that boundary over and over and further and further down, and you're going to be trusting yourself, because, and you're always going to lower itself because your own standards you are going to have to lower because you're not even meeting your own standards. 
But when we put our faith in Christ Jesus and we see the bar, the standard up here, and we're going to put, we're going to have to put our trust in God to help us keep that standard because there's no possible way we could do it with our own selves. But we want to pray that God will that you will not do anything wrong. It's going down to verse nine. It says, "We are glad, whatever we are weak, but you are strong." And our prayer is is for your perfection. I pray for your perfection. Anyone who watching or hearing this, you know, hearing this, I pray for your perfection in Christ Jesus. Not that your everything's going to become perfect, but your heart is perfect. And as your heart grabs, gravitates and holds on to that perfection, then your outer being is going to walk more according to the Lord than it does today. It's going to verse um, 11. It says, Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Because whatever you aim for, you may not hit perfection. In fact, none of us are going to hit, hit perfection on how we define perfection this lifetime. But I'm telling you, the times that I've felt impure, the end times I've fallen short of the glory of God and cried out, those are the times that God says, no, you're perfect. Not that I was perfect in action, perfect in deed, or carried out what God wanted me to carry out, but my heart meant the right thing. My heart went towards the right thing. I had the right motive, and I went forth. I just, my people perished for lack of knowledge. Maybe you lack knowledge in an area, and that's why you fail. Not because your heart was imperfect, not because you didn't have faith, it's because you lacked knowledge in that area. But we need to aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be one of mine and live in peace. And verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So here's, here's the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We need the grace of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Jesus did everything by grace. We need the love of God, the love of God that you know carries us through, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to hear from God. There's people out there that don't believe we can hear from God anymore, that the, that the last word written in Revelation was the last word for us. And certainly God is not speaking anything new that's, that's contrary to his, his word, but the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us. He's, the Holy Spirit is bringing up things that we've already been told. The Holy Spirit is bringing up things that is hear the Father speak according to the word of God. And we need that fellowship. We need that communion with the Lord day in and day out. That's what makes us different from the rest of the world. That's, that, that our Savior is alive, that our Savior speaks. You have all these other religions in the world where their, their so-called Savior is dead. Their so-called Savior doesn't speak. Even their God doesn't speak. It has, you know, doesn't has ears but doesn't hear. It has you know, eyes but doesn't see. You know, it's made out of stone. But our God hears. Our God responds to us. We don't live, we don't have a deistic God. Our God responds. We can hear God right here and right now. So may the Lord of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.